Good evening, everyone. Welcome. Uh, welcome to Second Home on this uh, balmy evening here in Los Angeles. Um, my name is Ken. I'm one of the owners of Now Serving. We're, thank you. Uh, we're a tiny cookbook shop in Chinatown, and we're one of the few places in the country that is dedicated to cookbooks and culinary goods. So, uh, thank you so much for your support, and I just want to thank everyone for to continue to support small businesses, especially during the holiday uh, chaos. Um, sorry, I'm trying to imagine that this is the tiny shop, but <laughs> it's a little rattling. Um, okay, so before we, I introduce our panel tonight, I wanted to, to, to um, give thanks to a few people. Um, first and foremost, I would like to thank the incredible team here at Second Home. This is our fifth event here. Uh, thank you for partnering with us, and we love doing all our events here. So thank you so much, Second Home. Uh, next, I would love to thank our beverage sponsors, Yola Mescal. Give it up, Yola. And uh, please get up, give it up for Sunset Cultures uh, for quenching our thirst and getting the party started with delicious cocktails and kombuchas. All right. Um, okay, I wrote okay on here. Uh, okay, so we are here to celebrate the testament to a time and place, which is like the ethos echoed throughout the 20 years of, of Noma, right? Um, of tw 200 dishes that appear otherworldly, but also are conceived from ingredients found sometimes just under our feet. Tonight, their time and place is here with us here in LA, with all of you. So I'm gonna in start introducing uh, all these amazing people here. Uh, our moderator has been close to hospitality his whole life. He is the writer and creator of The Bear. Right over here. Sorry. Uh, so the bear is the number one reason why this past summer half the planet were, were drinking out of plastic deli cups, right? And why therapists really started to unpack. Yes, chef. Um, please welcome cousin Christopher Storr. Hey. No, I, I, was told, I was told this chair, Professor. Hi, guys. This is so cool. Uh, okay. The real cousin's right there. Owner of Rosa Rugosa clothing line. Head of Blue Goose Farms. He sells some housewares. He's a best-selling author, restaurateur. He is our North Star on YouTube. <laughs> the Canadian ambassador to the multiverse, Maddie Matheson. Yeah. I don't even know if I can sit in this. Um, before I introduce the three authors here, I do want to say we're going to let everybody kind of cook and jam for about as long as we go, and then we're going to do some Q&A from the crowd. Uh, we're going to do it 
like uh, Phil Donahue style, if any of you know who that is. So I'll be going to be running uh, around with a mic uh, later on. So, but finally, our authors this evening, truly an honor for us to welcome the team from Noma in Copenhagen. Chef co-owner Rene Redzepi. Head of Research and Development, Meta Soberg. <laughs> and please, not last but not least, Chef Junichi Takahashi. All right, is it our turn? Can you guys hear me? Is this on? Uh, Thanks so much for coming, guys. This is so cool. Um, it's great to be here. And again, like just a special thank you to Now Serving. You guys were amazing when we were making our show. And just always, always the best. Um, I think the first thing that I want to get into real quick, if it's okay with you, Maddie, is Renee, can you talk a little bit about why in the middle of having the like one of the most famous restaurants in the world, you decided to shut it down and redo it completely into the next model to phase 2.0? Well, you know, it feels like it's yesterday, but it's already five years ago we actually opened this 2.0, and we have a big change coming soon. Very, very, very big change. Um, and so when we're 20 years old soon, and I was 25 when Noma opened. I'm 45 now. Uh, and um, when we decided for Noma 2.0, we had in enjoyed incredible success, and it gave us so much opportunity. But the success was also incredibly limiting, however strange that sounds. With each success, we were sort of defined. And we went to work, uh, not playing around as if we had nothing to lose the way it was in the beginning. It was just more fun. Uh, you told yourself you were going to work as if you had nothing to lose, but you weren't. And so I was trying to figure out a way to get back to that get back to this moment of creation where nothing matters. What matters is that we do this and we feel like this is the right thing and the restaurant is half full anyway, so it doesn't, nobody cares. You know? There was also a very different time, 2003. There was no Instagram, there was no nothing. You could really, really mess up for years and nobody would notice. <laughs> for real, you know, you would... You would be, I remember the first time we had American media. It was such a huge thing to us. We were like, wow, American media. But they came in March and the story came out the next March. You know, that's impossible to think of today. M just like in 2003, you smoked in every restaurant, you know. And every restaurant had big candelabras on there. And it's not even that long ago. Uh, but anyway, in, th in that time, I just thought, okay, it's time to, to try something different. And so we thought... Moving down the road two kilometers to this lakeside next to the free town of Christiania, perhaps that would give us something. Oh, somebody, yeah. This, that's the original weed place uh, for all you Californians. Um, and, um, you know, when we, we did that, when we decided to move, uh, I f it felt right. But then I also told myself, what if we just move there and we do exactly the same thing? 
because as a cook, you go through the seasons. Each, each year, it's the same. It's not like there's gonna, you're going to find a new species of birds or the world's going to invent a new animal. You're going to have to constantly see fresh opportunity in the same winter beets and the same winter onions and so on and so forth. It's up to us to put the imagination in our mind so that we can see it, you know, and have the right team. And uh, so I thought to myself, shit, moving, maybe that doesn't do anything. And that's when we start doing the pop-ups to train ourselves to see new things. I mean, it's wild, too, because the little time I've spent at Noma and around you guys, like, you do learn every day is the Super Bowl. And I'm like, for 20 years, every day is the Super Bowl. And, like, I'm exhausted Super watching Bowl, We this. say the Champions League. The Champions League. <laughs> but even after, like, three hours, I'm like, the I Champions need to take a nap, League. and I'm sweating. This yeah. is crazy, <laughs> and they're going to do this forever. And I think the thing that's interesting Nobody is... Nobody cares about the Super Bowl. <laughs> I'm just going to say... It's only the champ, the champ. I don't even know if you can say Super Bowl. I, don't, I think it's trademark. Anyway, um, I think that the other thing that's interesting, though, is... And you get at this a little bit in the foreword of the book, which is like this thing of everyone knows you're doing this, and then you have to sort of, not only are you building a restaurant again from scratch, but you're also thinking about how do we reinvent this menu, and like you said, with this, you know, with social media and everyone knowing you're up to, like, how do you, as a team, sort of, A, plot out what the structure of the, of the sort of menu and sort of the overall, I guess, uh, approach the new restaurant's going to be, and B, how do you... I don't want to say worry, but how do you like feel the expectation that's on you? Hmm. We're talking about Noma 2.0 yeah. as we open. Okay, so when we were planning Noma 2.0, at first I thought we were going to do an uh, uh, all-year-long vegetarian restaurant. I was w- This is eight years ago, and I was sure that this was going to be the future, and I still am sure of that. Um, and so the first thing I said to the team, we're doing a vegetarian restaurant. No one's turning into a vegetarian restaurant. But then I was like, you know, we live in the Nordics. And uh, it's winter six months uh, during the year. And not only, I mean, it's gray. And I just thought we, as a team, as a place, we weren't ready for it. And that's when it dawned on us that we could have these three monumental seasons where we have you know, in the winter, dead winter, everything is frozen, nothing is growing, we turn to the ocean. And uh, the fish are at their best. The bellies are full of roe, the liver is incredible, the diversity is incredible. We, ser- we become a seafood restaurant. And then as the seasons change, everything turns green. That's the moment to only serve vegetables. And when the leaves fall from the trees, we serve, we go into the forest the wild animals, the mushrooms, and all, all the, the wild stuff. And it was really, really incredible for us, this seasonality. But it also provided an outrageous uh, pressure on the team. And June and Med, <laughs> they are the ones that uh, have felt this in, with myself as a team three times a year. And it sounds like nothing, but three times a year coming up with this new way. Uh, is really, 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 really hard. And what's, what's that process like? Like coming up with an idea of a dish versus what ends up on the menu. Mm. It's a long road. And to be able to continuously do that with as many recipes and dishes and ideas that you have, you, like what's the process of like first ideation to like how does it get to a plate, then how does it get actually onto the menu? Meta, I think you should do this one and you should 
start at the beginning of the vegetarian uh, celeriac shawarma. I thought you would say that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think some dishes take years. Others can be made in a few hours. But mm -hmm. most of the time, uh, at least a few months, I would say. And for the celeriac shawarma that you were talking about, it was an idea that started um, at least the first time that we heard about it was in Mexico. Maybe you already had the idea earlier, <laughs> but at least in Mexico, we tasted... For the pop-up. Exactly. Uh, for the pop-up in Tulum, we tasted all these delicious uh, tacos al pastor and wanted to do an amazing vegetarian version of that. We'd even set up our barbecue in the kitchen so that we could do uh, one that was cooked on coals, like a vertical barbecue setup, basically. And we tried a lot of different versions, but it didn't work in Mexico. Um, and then... I guess it's then more than a year after we went back to that thought when we had to do the first vegetarian season. Two years after. Uh, two years after, mm -hmm. yes, of course. <laughs> two <laughs> years. Um, when we were then working on this vegetarian season, we started talking about it again, and we tried uh, every vegetable, leaf, mushroom, flower that you can think of and tried to put it somehow into a shape of a shawarma. And we worked on it so much that we actually ended up, I think, hating the thought of it. So we went away from it. And then after a few more months, then we went back to the idea. No, 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 no. You decided to go back to it. <laughs> I'm very stubborn. <laughs> you, just, you said, let me, let me try one more time. Yeah, one more time, which became more than one more time. Uh, but then we, we found celeriac. I think we had tried it before, but maybe in a different way. And then, I don't She's know. She's saying we, but it was her. <laughs> but I think there was something, there was a point, there's always like a point where you know, okay, this is definitely not the finished version, but this is going to work. Right. Mm -hmm. you, can, you can feel it, you know, or at least taste that's, it. that's how you can taste it. And you can feel it in your guts, you know. And then, of course, we worked you know, many more weeks on it and eventually ended up on the menu. But there was also just all the logistics of, okay, how are we going to do 20 of these uh, big shawarmas and do we slice it table side? Do we have space enough for the barbecue to cook them all because they have to be perfectly caramelized? And that, that one was a lot of work. <laughs> it's also one of the most iconic servings that we've ever done, 100%. I, it's so good. And we are Scandinavians. We don't say this, you know. It's not in us to say that we've done something amazing, but <laughs> but if uh, if you if there was shawarma sh stores all around the world with this celeriac shawarma, it would be such a hit. It's so good, and it will never be served again. That's the crazy thing. Wow. Do you is it like do you guys miss some? I mean, you have to miss some of those dishes though, right? Like, do you ever ever want to bring back a greatest hit? Renee, like as long as you do this, you're like never again. That was you're like traumatized by some of them, I'm sure. <laughs> I and the, I would say no, and the reason for that is because we work so hard. The hours are brutal. Most of you are probably in the restaurant industry, so everyone know. Uh, and for those of you who are not, uh, the hours are brutal. It doesn't matter where in the world you are. The pay is low. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're the head chef or the plonger. Um, the fun is when these new things happen. Yeah. And, and for it to be factory work is simply not worth it. It really is not. It has to have the fun bit. And that's the creativ creativity. 
I'm sure you definitely find that when you decide to reinvent your entire restaurant. Like, where were you when you decided to do that, by the way? Were you walking and you're like, I think it's time to blow this all up and shut it down? <laughs> I, can't rem I, can't, I can't remember. I, I just knew it in uh, my gut that it needed a change. I, and I told the team, so Peter Kreiner, one of, uh, he's a Noma legend and uh, he's also a partner today at the restaurant. He's been, we've been working together for, for 16 years and I told him and then he, he, we were trying to find a place for a party and uh, he called me up, he was around town looking for a place to hold a party and he said, this place doesn't work for the party but this is where the new Noma is going to be. And I biked out there immediately and I've never felt so strongly about any sort of thing, uh, you know, business-wise or restaurant-wise. I knew we were going to be there. That's great. And I think, like, going back to Maddie's process question for a second, the thing I've always been curious about is when you guys are planning a new menu, is it, like, a thing? Do you sit and you kind of all team up and you're like, we sort of want something like this? Because, you know, it's like I know how Maddie and I work when we're, like, writing a show, and it's like we just talk stupid shit for hours and trying to figure out what, what to do. And it's like, I think, like when a restaurant, I do think people obviously know you guys as one of the best restaurants in the world. And it's like, you still have to sit and have these sessions where you're sort of like, I think we lead off with this and sort of build to this. Like, can you talk a little bit more about that? That's like the development I, I, of the I'll menu? give it to you, Meta, and then June afterwards. Of course. I mean, I think um, there's a little bit of that also. Like, we definitely start by having a, very big brainstorm session. Um, but we always have lots of ideas already from previous years and previous seasons. Um, it's very different, I would say, if you're talking about the vegetable season, the game and forest season, or the seafood season, as you could say the seafood and the game and forest are way more, um, I would say, ingredient-driven. You know, we have dishes on the seafood menu that can be as simple as um, a scallop uh, with a umami butter and a little bit of salt. But that's amazing because the scallop is still moving because it's still alive when you serve it. Whereas the vegetable season is... Watch out, we're in LA now. <laughs> <laughs> um. It's not alive. <laughs> <laughs> Just killed. <laughs> um. <laughs> but obviously with the vegetable season it's at least for me I think it's a lot more complicated and it's more maybe mm. about um, a feeling or you know an overall storyline of the menu but that's also what's so amazing about the way that we're doing it now I think it's really a gift that Renee has given us creativity uh, because we get to work with these three distinct menus and we get to work with an entire menu at the same time, so we can sort of see it as a whole instead of before where, you know, we would have a menu and then we would add a few dishes, take a few dishes off. Now it's so much easier for us to see it, you know, the whole menu together and a dish could be amazing, but just maybe not fit on that menu. Mm. But then maybe a year after or two years after, we might take mm. that idea and, you know, start spending time on it again. Mm. Um, but, I mean, it's... It's brainstorming, it's a lot of just jamming and having fun in the kitchen, and then so many, many, many tastings also just to figure out like what direction to go in. 
I've definitely seen a couple on Renee's Instagram that like didn't make it, and I'm like, that's <laughs> one of the most gorgeous things ever. So I, it's like, I don't I'm, even know. I'm gonna give this to June as well, yeah. and uh, I'm just gonna introduce June. So June, he's uh, one of our veterans, and June, uh, when he came to Copenhagen, he spoke zero English, uh, but he spoke kitchen, you know, and all cooks know this: you can speak kitchen. If you know the flow, you'll figure it out. And June figured it out. And he's by far one of the most important people uh, in this for this restaurant in the last 10 years. But he's also by far the person who does the most complicated recipes. <laughs> uh, and June, so I'm going to ask you, where does your idea start in your mind? Uh, so, um, so it's my idea. Also, it's, uh, it's me. Also, um, it's usually... Uh, it's not only new things. Actually, you know, it's people doing only try to like new fa fancy, whatever, new technique, but not only about that. We also learning from the some tradition, mm. traditional things, mm. uh, traditional technique. It's mm. very important for us because it's like, because tradition always, you know, it's helping for me, it's like technique, skill. It's, if you have it, it's, you can make easy to make new things. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have it, you can't make it. Yes. So that's why it's most stuff is like has so many background, it's so many uh, working. It's amazing restaurant, fine dining, also even the bistro, but they're working hard, like you know, a lot of skills. So we are actually teaching each other different country. Mm. Actually, also so many nationality working, like maybe 20, minimum 20. Mm. Minimum 20. 20 yeah, nationalities. No so actually we have everyone's different background. So like it's different traditions. So we can teach each other actually more. Mm. Helping a lot for getting new idea. Mm. So even stakmi. So some people making amazing stakmi. What what is what is sauce? It's amazing. So mm. and then they ask me. I say suddenly this. Oh this you guys you have to taste it. Even something whatever sauce for chicken, but it's amazing. So sometimes you can get from the you know the, from the around yeah. uh, around of you. I think that's more important. Not only like fancy stuff mm. at least for me. Yes. But yeah. But I always try to make actually very complicated like most difficult maybe <laughs> recipe there's the recipe. a recipe in the book it's 17 pages long and it has and it has june's signature all over it yeah just a saturday night which one is that book yeah it was a name that cut face it's a it's a kind of cut face like a main course it's a it means fast season the seafood season like a main course is a it's a breakdown like specific way to cut face with each Different piece, different season, like very complicated, but actually very delicious. So, like, <laughs> why not to <laughs> from the menu? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. No, it's it's a uh, it's incredible, and it's just the whole face broken down into individual cuts, much like you would have an animal. But imagine that work uh, done to the face of a cod. It's incredible. So much work. So incredible. The, the thing that I find interesting is like, like with bands and stuff, like bands can like write an album, right? And then they're like, how the fuck do we do it live? You know, how do you take a 17 page recipe of a cod head and then do that over and over and over and over? And that process of training and having the kitchen dialed to that level. And like, can you kind of just speak on that? Yeah. Taking from like ideation, this dish is a go. Mm -hmm. Now, how do we translate it into service? Yeah. I mean, this is by far the most complicated part of it. First of all, having ideas is easy. Executing is by far the most difficult thing. Um, 
ideas is nothing without execution. And, ex and so you can write a recipe, which we do. Of course, we have these ideas, we write recipes. They're as precise as they can be. And any cook will know, except for a dessert. And even desserts, they are just very strong guidelines, the recipes. It is the cook that ultimately will create the magic. Any cook will know that ingredients change day by day. That cauliflower <laughs> that comes in one day tastes different next week. And you can't follow the recipe suddenly. It's all in your hands, in your intuition, in your cooking skills. A drop of acidity, a touch of salt more. That's when the magic happens. You know this. So that's the hard part when we have these long recipes, 17 pages long for the cod face or uh, eight pages long for the reindeer penis uh, and, and so on and so forth. Then we have these training sessions. We have approximately 10 days leading up to a season opening. And we do two days uh, of full service uh, where we invite guests to test and train and explain the critical moments for the cooks to be aware of. Like as you're cooking, you know, when could the sauce split? Watch out, next week, uh, this dessert with strawberries. Uh, next week, you know, it might be hotter or rain is coming. The strawberry is going to taste of less. Uh, make sure you're thinking of these things. And so having everyone not just be on autopilot and follow a recipe, that is by far the hardest thing that, we've, that we have. Yeah. But we spend 10 days before we open a season just training for it, including having two days, full house with guests that are not paying, that we're just, it's like dress rehearsal in a way. And you know, the, we started this thing called Saturday Night Projects many, many, many years ago as a way to train that intuition bit for the cook, because that is by far the most difficult thing to trust yourself. Many people don't trust themselves, and you can have incredible amounts of cooks that have glowing res resumes, been all of the best restaurants, but ha ask them to do, do staff meal, and they just crumble because they don't know what to do. You know, they could just get nervous. They're used to just following a recipe and being told what to do. And using your intuition and trusting yourself is by far the most important skill in a kitchen, in my opinion. In that same spirit, Renee, is that also why, like you guys are going to do a pop-up in Japan and yeah. it's like, is that the same? Because again, you're going to have to basically start semi from scratch again in, in Japan. And I imagine that that keeps every like creative muscle and everybody going and going back, saying, going back to what you were saying earlier, which is it helps keep it uh, fun amidst being really challenging, I'm sure, too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's both. It's challenging. It's nerve-wracking. Uh, days where you think, why are we doing this? Many days, particularly leading up to it. It's so hard doing these pop-ups. We are going 103 people to Kyoto, including children and spouses. We're putting uh, children in schools, in daycares. You know, we're moving full lives for five months, and um, it's just such incredible amounts of work. We have a full team on the ground already. We've had a team since the summer uh, picking wild kiwis and, you know, drying them for, for the season. Um, but if you don't do it, you don't get this learning. You have to do it. Learning new things, being out there where there's no road paved for you, 
and you're paving as you're sort of moving forward, that's when the very important things happen creatively, I think, where you really learn. Can you talk a little bit about not losing your sparkle? <laughs> da David Shrigley is good at that. We <laughs> Don't talk about the sparkle. The sparkle's fine. The sparkle's fine. We can talk about the sparkle. I was going to actually ask that question. It's in the book. Talk about that. Yeah. So David Shrigley, <laughs> have, have have, has anyone had a chance to look at the book yet? Okay. You have the book in front of you. At the end, there's a, a uh, he's a British artist. His name is David Shrigley. And um, he's one of my favorite artists. And he's uh, been our house artist. And he's incredible. He's sort of Keith Haring-esque uh, of, uh, of artists. Um, and um, he, you know, some, some people can just keep doing what they're doing forever. And they just keep renewing themselves. And how do you do that? How don't you burn out? And, or at least, let me phrase it in a different way, because I've burned out many times. How do you burn out and, and go again? <laughs> and um, he has some life advice in the book for that. Yeah, no, it's actually really, you were laughing. It's like really great in the back of the Well, I didn't read it. <laughs> oh, you shouldn't say that. Never say that. I'm gonna uh, read I think it's a good time to start seeing, uh, open it up to some audience questions too. Uh, how should we do this? Raise your hand if you have a question for this team. Anybody? Yeah, right over there. Let's go. Is there a mic over there for him? So in terms of the design process when reinventing the restaurant, what were you looking for in terms of the new space? This actual physical space? Yes. Yeah. Um, so we had some very clear, uh, a very clear vision. I wanted everything to be handmade, but not look like wood shop. Um, and that was very hard for the designers uh, to actually put that into seven new buildings um, and I also wanted um, a space that was fixed but could be um, uh, how do you say that uh, un, un, that could be uh, used for something else meaning that when we built it we already knew when we built it that we were not gonna do what we're doing right now in the future, if that makes any sense. So the space had to be able to become something else, even though we, don't, we didn't know what that would be, but we know that now, but we didn't know eight years ago as we were designing it. But we told them that you had to design it in a way that it can be something different than what it's meant to be. And, and it ended up being exactly that actually and so uh, everything had to be handmade and they had to be able to transform into something different those were the two main things and then there was a myriad of, of you know conversations and we're in a very we're in a national heritage site so we had 11 redrawings of the project before we actually got to to the finish line 
And we even had uh, a moment, so in Denmark, when you're in a national heritage site, there has to we have to have an archaeologist at site at all times. And so every time, like the big, what do you call the big digger? What do you call that? A uh, uh, digger. A digger, the big... <laughs> what? Huh? Excavator. I, I feel that's not, yeah. You're, you're that's a bigger word. Setting me up. Nah, uh, chef, it's cool. When you had the big excavator and, you know, they would hit something like, dong, the archaeologist would say, stop. <laughs> and everyone had to stop. And um, so we found remnants of an old wall and we also found an old sea mine um, left from the Second World War in the ground. Yeah. Who else? Do you want to do another one? Yeah, let's go. Keep going. Uh, Keep going. Hey there. I want to ask each of you, what's the best thing you've eaten recently in Los Angeles? And is there anything that you think that the Los Angeles food scene is missing? Good question. Uh-oh. I'll pass it on to Jun and Mede. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we had some really amazing... American soul food the other day, some fried chicken that was really, really good. The, pan the pancake? <laughs> oh, and the pancake. The pancake was amazing. Alta. Alta, yeah. DP, is he here? The other question <laughs> is very tough. <laughs> I feel like I don't know the LA food scene well enough really to answer that question. I would have to come back and eat more. We haven't had enough time to eat that much. But we did get a little taste of some tacos, which was really nice. Just a little taste of Mexico also. Mm. That was also very good. <laughs> Junichi? Actually, almost, sorry, almost <laughs> same comment, almost I would say. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we don't... We don't Korean barbecue. Yeah, what we went to Korean oh. barbecue was, I mean, was nice because <laughs> eating, just to me, it's just really hard to eating everyday American food, to me, <laughs> at least. It's tasty, but you just like, uh, maybe... You to have some rice. Yeah, because that's, you know... <laughs> <laughs> eating every day is kind of so it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard well, we yeah. when we go on month long uh, research trips <laughs> June bring uh, packets of miso soup <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, if I can answer this question in one way I think I wish we had some of LA in Copenhagen oh. yeah and I really mean that because <laughs> you guys are here and, and um, everything that you have it's just nobody else has that. It's really amazing. Anything specifically like that you miss when you're not when you haven't been here in a minute? Well, uh, imagine having Koreatown, for instance. We cannot even. I, of course, we have a few Korean restaurants, but mm. um, that's something else. Ch a Chinatown, uh, Little Armenia, uh, Filipino Town, if that's what it's called. Uh, and so on and so forth. It just keeps going. Um, in Copenhagen, it's very, very, very difficult to even have 10% of what you have. What was your favorite, Maddie? And what do you feel yeah. LA is missing, Maddie? I had a couple bean and cheese burritos from Del Taco yesterday. <laughs> and then uh, that was far. There's one close to LAX. And then I saw that Arby's on by Crossfit Sugarfish. That's kind of tight too. But I like American food. 
But, uh, you know. All right, next know. I'm question. I'm the wrong person to ask this shit. <laughs> Who's back there? Did I see a question back here? All right. Over here. I'm coming up. They've had their hand up for a while. I imagine it's uh, maybe difficult to work at NOMA. And so I wonder, what is it like to be fired from NOMA? <laughs> Do you fire people? Yeah, it actually very rarely happens. When is the last time we really fired someone? Honestly, I don't remember anyone being fired. It's, it's, it happens rarely to be fired, but it, of course it's... I mean, we want to be the best at what we do. Not necessarily to be number one. We just want to be the best and really care for what we do and take effort. And that is not for everyone. But if people get hired, it's, it's extremely rare that I have ever fired anyone. If people are in, they're kind of in. It's up to us. But it doesn't always work out, so people might leave. But we are, even though that it is tough, we are in a place where people stay a long time. Mm. You know, it's, if you are a sous chef, you have stayed minimum five to 10 years at Noma in the last 20 years. That's 100%. We've only had three head chefs. Um, most cooks uh, that, you know, we have the three months period and that might be some say, okay, not for me. But most cooks, they stay two to four years, and uh, quite a lot of them leave because there's just no way to, like the sous chefs, they've been there forever. Hmm. Sometimes it does happen uh, that in agreement, you, you know, you tell people, hey, maybe it's time that, it's not, a f it's not necessarily you're firing someone, we're just talking about what is the right choice for that person, uh, and, uh, Sometimes people burn out at the work. It's just too much. There's too much intensity, and it's time to move on. You know, um, that happens definitely. But firing people, when I was a little younger and much, much, much more stupid, I guess I could fire someone in service to rehire them five minutes later. I've done stuff like that, <laughs> um, but I'm not proud of those moments. It was definitely a a stupid uh, period of my career. But really finding people, I think I've only done that like two, three times uh, in the last 20 years. And I, the last time we did that, I now remember one. But that was because uh, he told, um, he told a chef in the kitchen that he didn't think uh, women should be in the kitchen. Mm. And so we fired him. <laughs> and he was Italian. Remember him? <laughs> okay. What else we got? Wow. <laughs> Who's going to follow up that question? Yeah, let's go. Okay, over here. And then we're going to do, I think we're going to do one, one more. Here you go. I had a question as uh, someone who's taken many of years developing as a chef, a restaurateur, and an author. Um, have you developed a system where all three of those can kind of be parallel as one, or do you kind of disassociate 
from each aspect of as a chef, as developing the restaurant, and uh, in your writing? Oh, man. Um, yeah, I really wish I could give you some sort of golden answer, but the reality is that I'm still all the time figuring life out. And yeah, sometimes it's very tough, very hard, and you struggle, and other times it just feels like it's easy, and you everything comes easy, but um, I'm still figuring this out. And the people I speak to about this, they say, this is life. <laughs> you just gotta embrace that and uh, realize that that is life. And then uh, I'm not there yet with that part of it, but no. So my question, is, my answer is that I don't, haven't figured out how to really do this. I have three children. We have a very busy restaurant. There's a very there's lots of creativity. We have a big staff. Uh, within the staff, we have people that work together forever. Um, I'm a leader. That's very hard to do. You go through all these incredible moments with your team that you know sets you off. I, I was telling b backstage that you know I have. Three times in my career, I had a cook come up to me and say, Chef, I need time off. Why? Because I'm going to jail. One of them for three years. I've had two times where staff members, very, very close to me, come to me crying, saying, my child has cancer. Uh, I've had, uh, we have one right now that's dying from a brain tumor. One of our staff that's been with us for 10 years. And and the list goes on and on and on, you know. So that really, when you hear that, you're like in shock for, for months and suddenly you, you can't figure anything out for a while. And that's when you turn to the team and to, to do well. So I don't know if I answered anything other than, <laughs> than everything blends together and s sometimes I know nothing about what's the right path and just feeling my way forward, and other times my gut tells me exactly where I need to be. One more. Quick fires. I'm going to do this the other side of the room. I have I've neglected, neglected it over there. Um, while I'm walking over there, I have a question for Chris. What's up, buddy? So I have to ask you this because you're, you're all in the room. Can you talk about why why Noma in the bear? No, it's I mean it's a good question. I think because you hear Noma so often, like you know, it's be sort of become almost like a buzzword of like, oh, it's the best restaurant in the world, and it's this fancy place. And I think part of the reason that we really wanted to highlight it in, in the show was that it's also a business. It's also a team that has to make money and keep operating and just like Renee was saying the thing that we really wanted to talk about in our show was you know you end up spending a, most of your time with the people you work with and in a lot of um, it, it's like strange how you end up knowing the people you work with sometimes better than your own family and people like Renee and these chefs that we all know sort of become these these heroes and you sort of think like if I get to this point it'll be like Noma or it'll be like this restaurant, and you're like, no, Noma still has to reinvent itself, and Noma still has to find ways to be creative and, and make money and, and keep, like they were saying, like truly the sparkle, and like how do you get through 
get through the, the hardest times in business and the hardest times with your, your coworkers that often become your cousin. And, and I think just really highlighting some place that I think everyone knows to be one of the more creative forces in the, in the culinary, culinary industry, industry was a cool way in for us to talk about something a little bit deeper. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. Hi. Um, obviously, from the accent, extremely American, but I have family in Denmark. And mm. what I was wondering is, as your restaurant has taken a more global approach, and you've obviously done pop-ups and are doing pop-ups in other countries, are there still parts of like Danish cuisine or Nordic cuisine in general or ingredients that inspire you or you're still excited to explore? Is it something that you are feeling less excited about? Or and Anyway, is mm. there something that you're excited about? Yeah. You guys want to go? I mean, I think like June was talking about earlier that our menu definitely reflects all of the amazing people and nationalities that work in the restaurant, including the travels that we've done. Um, but there is, <laughs> um, I definitely remember a few moments where Rene has come to us with, um, for example, there was this thing called Fulskea, like yeah. a traditional Danish dumpling that you don't really see anymore, but like a dumpling made from oats. And then we spent some weeks trying to work on, on dumplings made from oats. And I mean, we've had this Ebleskew, like this Danish, uh, <laughs> yeah, round pancake thing that we eat for Christmas on the menu, like in so many different variations. So I think there's definitely touches of Denmark. And I mean, obviously the, the produce is all from Scandinavia, or most of it from Scandinavia, so. Yeah, but to tell the truth, 20 years ago, as we're embarking on this Noma journey, you taste things for the first time. And I've mentioned this many, many times before in the previous books as well. One pivotal moment, which is the seagrass that tastes like coriander moment. Uh, on a forest, excuse me, um, shoreline, early spring, everything is rotting, rotting seaweed. And suddenly there's this patch of green and you go there intuitively because you're drawn to it and you taste it and it's coriander uh, disguised as seagrass. And that epiphany, that moment where you feel like a child that's discovered the most amazing thing. Mm. Uh, those discoveries don't come that often uh, anymore. Mm. I, I will have to be very, very honest because we've simply, we just tasted so many things and we've, you know, it's, it's harder now uh, to, uh, to get this. What was the last thing? I feel like we just had one thing, but now I forget. What was it where we tasted that was so extraordinary, where I was like, taste this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck, I'm blanking. It was, uh, there was something that was, oh, what was it? Ay, 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 ay. Were we in the test kitchen <laughs> or was it here? Uh, you know, I was talking about the small berry, no? The one that was like a yeah, persimmon? No, not the small persimmon from the farmer's market, the Katapa wild persimmon. Oh, there was something else. Hey, shit, I forgot about it. But so uh, good maybe read mind. it about it right. in the next book. <laughs> hey, one, 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 one <laughs> thing, one thing, one thing, one thing. I just want to uh, introduce another Noma, a uh, former Noma staff, because I think you should come up there here, Malcolm. Um, come on, Malcolm. Malcolm. Come on up, man. Woo! <laughs> Malcolm, Malcolm Livingston. Pastry wizard. As we're finishing up, 
Malcolm was a pastry chef in our test kitchen for many years, and now he's uh, actually a local Los Angeles person. What do you call that? Angelino. Los Angelino. <laughs> yeah, and he's doing uh, ice creams. Um, I'm just plug shameless plugging you. What's it called? August Novelties. It's at uh, Marcel's Vegan Butcher, and it's also uh, at Joan on 3rd. Let's go. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Thank uh, you guys so much for being here. Yeah, it's a really amazing thing to see. Thank you, everybody. Thank you guys so much. Thank, Thank you, you everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you everybody. Noma 2 3.0. What? It's coming. It's coming! World peace. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>